are you guys talking about? Okay, so special rewrite this episode. We were going to do Batman Begins, and then I watched the beginning of Batman Begins, and it was kind of boring. Now, I was supposed to be watching it for homework, because the script I'm writing, there are some shots done at night, and we wanted to have, like, some quick action in the dark, and Ed was like, well, there's your film for it, and he's right. Um, the problem was, for, the like, the 30 minutes of the film I had to watch, I couldn't get around the other hour and a half. Not that it's a bad film, folks, it's just aged... It's not The Dark Knight, so The Dark Knight, the middle one in that trilogy, is one I think you can watch over and over and over again, and the pacing in that is done exactly perfect. Batman Begins, when it came out, was like the coolest, man. Like, it was it was before, really, the superhero films had taken off, and this was when they, st- you know, Batman was the first superhero franchise, other than Superman, I guess would be the other one, where they got it right early on. I would say if you went to other superhero movies of earlier days you would have found out, same as video game movies, why they aren't made, because they were just were notoriously terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we switched it all, because I wanted to, and because I said so. So we moved on to doing... <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? It's my show. So we decided to do Thor Ragnarok instead. Not only is it done by Taika Waititi, which you guys know on the show, just how much I adore this director... Um, it's also fit in well with, uh, some of you may or may not know at the moment, we'll talk about it in just a bit more detail, but I'm doing the MCU deep dive, and that's a Jason deep dive, so that means everything. Everything and anything that's related to the continuity on the MCU, you know, phases one through three, I'm, I'm going through. But before we get too far into this, say hello, Ed. Hello. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I freaking love this movie. Yeah. I just want to put that right on Front Street. This is going to be another, like, A++. That's why we stuck with the ratings, because it just got pointless. It was like, yeah, everything's great. We love this film. We don't generally tend to talk. I said, you know, I gave you the, the bit on Batman Begins that I didn't like. I still like the film, but that's the part I didn't like. But before we get too far started into things, just remember you're listening to us via SoundCloud. That's where we post the podcast, but you can listen to us on virtually any platform now. I, I have got this out to just about everywhere. If there's one that you want and it's not on there, all you have to do is drop me a message and I will gladly go and put it on there so you can listen to it on your favorite podcast app. Also, check us out on the website. We are expanding as always. We just grow and grow and grow. But www.lovevictoriaproductions.com really does have everything that we're working on. All the projects, all the videos, Everything that we're doing, and as I said, we're getting bigger. So I would encourage you to to keep checking on the website. It's really the best way to kind of get everything. And that way, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you may enjoy our Dirty 20 uh, videos. Those are about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And we are trying to do lots of stuff to kind of tie in the various different groups of that. So um, if you do get a chance, check it out. If you need to talk to us, you want to reach out, we're on Twitter at Ananaski Prod and Mouth uh, Low Victoria. Instagram with Anano LVP and Jazzy J. Shiro and Facebook with the usuals, Jason Shiro and Edward Burgos. And also LinkedIn, if for some reason you use that and don't want to talk to us through the other things. But that's all the ways you can get a hold of us. And I will say, like, we do enjoy talking with everyone, so please... You know, get a hold of us. Um, you know, some of our channels, Dirty 20 tends to be quite active this time of year. But this one, like, if you have comments on Thor Ragnarok or want to know more about kind of how we analyze these things, what we look at when we look at these films, then please, by all means, drop something in the comments. Tell us, let us know what you think. If you think Batman Begins was an awesome film, you should, I shouldn't have said it sucked. Um, <laughs> then go ahead and let me know. But actually, to be fair, Batman Begins, because I had just seen Doctor Strange, those two married up really well, and I didn't like either that much anymore. <laughs> Doctor Strange, to me, was basically a redo of Batman Begins, done in the MCU. 
Okay, I can see that criticism. I I, I, I still liked it, though. I like Doctor Strange. I no, no, no. I, I read the comics as a kid. I, I'm not sure. I just, you know, I, I, for me, the, the problem... So getting into MCU stuff, because me and I talk MCU all the time. I just haven't recorded a whole lot of it. Um, but yeah, Doctor Strange, okay, so starting off with that, I guess, because that was before on the timeline, that is the film, uh, you've got Doctor Strange, then Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and then Thor Ragnarok, so, and I've been watching all this, I mean, I've been watching a ton of MCU lately, so I was on Doctor Strange two weeks ago, and two weeks ago I watched it, and the problem I had was, again, I guess the same problem I was telling you about Batman Begins, so, the, the, the issue I raised with Ed before the podcast, we should have just recorded it there, but I'll repeat it here, um, <laughs> Always the case. Yeah, usually we talk about so much stuff. That's why we decided to throw Ragnarok because we do talk about the MCU all the time, and we're going to be doing a new comic book show, which I haven't named yet. Yes. But super I get, excited, super yeah, excited. Yeah, well, see, I get sixteen comics every month, and, and I'm never going to keep them. Like I'm not a collector, so you know, if I see something I really, really like, then I'll then I'll put it away. But I also want Ed to be reading this stuff too because we use it. From our perspective, like, it is pure comic. Like, we're not... I'm not here to make money off of them. I'm not here to, you know, have the complete collection of anything. I use it for art stimulation, so I can say, oh, I really like that picture. I want to make something yeah, that looks visual, like that. visual story. Visual time. stimulation yeah. or the storyline. So comic book writing, it has to be really quick, because I've only got 24 pages to get you in and out of a story. Um, you know, it will have parts, parts one, part two, part three. But the cool thing about what I get, and, and it is, I'm not sponsored by these guys, So, um, but they are based out of Surrey, so much love for local, local, local businesses. But it's called Loot Box, and you can get a comic monthly loot box. It's like 16 bucks. I think the first one is 16 bucks, and then they become 20 bucks. I think that's what the guy told me. But you get 16 comics with that, and, and they're good. Like, they're all over the place. Like, it's never the same bit. So what I would say, if, 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 if you're like us, like, we do it for inspiration and to read comic books. Like, we don't want – we're not – I just – God, I have so many things that I'm – Excuse my language, but anal retentive about in my life when it comes to collecting. I just didn't want to add one more thing to that. I just, I just want to read them and get just rid of them. Just enjoy them. Exactly. Just enjoy them. So that's what we do with them. And we're going to do a show just talking about our favorite bits. So we're going to pick out, because I see a lot of stuff that I don't think a lot of other people have seen. And, um, you know, think about it for yourselves, man. You can get inspiration from just about anywhere. But I'm really surprised at how well the comic books have been helping my writing. You know, when I get a visual that I like and then I can say, okay, I want to to write something about that. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence that a lot of modern films are based on graphic novels, comic books. That's right. Well, and that's in in, in a production book I've been reading, you know, producer to producer, which is like the number one film school producer book, whatever. It's cool. It's a good book. And it's about, um, basically it's told from someone who's a very good producer. And I would say where that book differs from some of the other production books I've read like she cuts away from she's really heavy onto the money money considerations and not in the sense of saying like you have to get your film funded it's more you can't go after concepts that aren't going to get funded because there's no point right so you know and 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 it's very funny because that contrast I've been talking to Ed about this a lot with the art aspects that I've been dealing with with the story of film and Odyssey um, and, and other aspects of that that say no you have to make a film that you want you know so it's for me because I do producer director and writer and never sleep. You know, I have to marry up the two. And I would say comic books help a lot with that because it helps me blend ideas that I like into something that I know will be, I think, mm. at least a little bit more popular. Interesting. But that's how we got to Thor Ragnarok. It was it was one of those things. I'm going to do a blog post about where I'm at on the uh, MCU television, and it will be the tale of two cities. So 
I can tell you to give you the overview. Thor Ragnarok is just as amazing now as when I saw it in the theaters. It was one of the only MCUs that I saw in the theaters. And after, I'm going to let Ed kind of get into his his love of all this first, and I'll tell you a little bit about the background for me. But the blog post I'll put up, and it will be, uh, I, I would hope, by the end of this week, by the end of next week, if I need a little bit more time to put it together, it, it really differs from where the television series are going. So at the moment, this would coincide in the MCU timeline as far as when things were released with Inhumans. Um, which actually, from my perspective, it wasn't too bad until I researched it and found out it was released on IMAX at the same time. And I remembered that because I, I, I remember not going to the Inhumans and going to, 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 uh, to Thor Ragnarok and being like, well, I'm not going to go see a TV show in IMAX. But um, the TV shows have had issues, let's just say. And I'm not saying they're bad. I would encourage people to watch them. It's just I wouldn't do it like I'm doing. I wouldn't put them in the MCU. Watch the films, skip the skip the TV shows. They're not... There's just not enough cohesion there. And in my blog, I'll set out why I mean that because I mean, don't disrespect to all the people who worked very hard on the television shows. Um, they are a wonderful experiment. I just don't think it worked. I think it failed. And that's why I would say stick to the movies if you want to have fun. You know, if you want things to move along and get the pacing and get what's going on. So that's my intro to Thor Ragnarok. Ed... I guess with initial impressions, <laughs> why do you love this film? What what is it about mm. Thor Ragnarok when you watched it today? And it is how many times have you seen this film? Uh, three times. I'm gonna say two and three quarters. Okay. Because the very first time, as I told you, uh, when we talked on the phone, you I were had very ill. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, a constant backwards and forwards to the bathroom. And uh, did not watch the last twenty minutes. Of the I would film. say potentially the worst possible way to watch that film because it's it is it's again it's it's, it's new great like modern filmmakers building, so quick cuts yeah. and, and loud music and yeah. Um, but okay, so I'm going to approach this a little bit differently to how you've been kind of going through the MCU, which I think is a very interesting way to go about it, which is chronologically by release. Yes, and that's very interesting. I um. T- at least in the past, before like you and I started really getting into it, hmm. um, I used to look at the MCU like I used to look at comic books. Sure. Where I wouldn't look at the kind of global arc of the universe like they might do have done in Civil War, for example, in the comics. Correct. And stuff so like you that. weren't you weren't as concerned with the all arching like they're usually the summer annuals. So you had right. Infinity Wars, and you had you know you had a bunch of them. But yeah, every yeah. summer, Secret Wars. You know, like they stuff do like the that. big stuff like Infinity Wars happens yeah. every ten years or so. Because the reason, if you don't know this, is just for for people's knowledge on the on the thing. Um, the reason they have to do these things is because you have different ages of comic books. So you had the golden age of comics, which was like the 30s and the 40s. Mm. You had the silver age, which was the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. And then, of course, we have the the modern age, which has been the 70s onward. Mm. However, that's a lot of comic books, and they've been written for a long time, guys. And most people don't always twig on that. That, like, my grandfather used to joke when I became a comic book collector as a kid because he said, we used to read all these, but we used to throw them in the trash. And I was like, Grandpa, if you kept those, it'd be worth a lot of money. (laughs) So much money. So... But the point was, you had problems of continuity, obviously, because comic books are generally written like soap operas. They don't, mm. you know what I mean? They're not designed to be incredibly, you know, they've gotten better, I it's would say. Pretty dispo- it was always pretty disposable. It has to be pretty disposable, because yeah. you, you know, most of the time you're writing for like six-year-olds, you know what I mean? So, or ten-year-olds. So, these big events, because mm-hmm. they happened in DC first, if I remember correctly, and then Marvel started picking up on the, the way it could help them rewrite stories. So the DC ones, like the, the Crisis of Infinite Worlds is, I think, the first one that I can really remember. And I wasn't alive when it came out, but that was the first big one. And what they did is they killed off a ton of Silver Age characters. Mm. They 
redesigned the modern Superman's, Batman's, and everybody else by multiple realities, and then it right. all gets cleaned up in the end. Right. And the whole idea is that you can continue on with a new set of print, mm-hmm. um, and this all has to do with money, guys. You can cut up, set up with a new set of print and a new set of comic books that will follow the new storyline without completely upsetting your fan base. Right. Um, so, like, like I was saying, you know, for me, it was more following a particular character. That's right. So you'd pick, having you'd pick like the a guy favorite. you liked. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know? Which I think is, is a very modern approach to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thor was never my guy. He was always my brother's guy. Okay. Um, but I, I was excited because, you know, my brother was loved the comics and stuff and, uh, and the character. And I don't know why. I was very disappointed in the first Thor and the second Thor. Interesting. Now, I was looking at the numbers and they made loads of money. You know, it wasn't I asked, a, yeah, because earlier I had said, he said, were these a bit of a bomb? I'm like, I don't think so, Ed. No, no. They made they made lots of money. This one made the most money. And I and I should quickly, and I'll do it quickly because I do tend to just go on, but we quickly talked about at that time that the interesting thing about phase one of the MCU yes. is that it's designed as Ed's talking about now. So this goes through different phases. And in phase one, because Kevin Feige and his crew in Marvel Studios had no idea really what was going to happen. They released individual films and were judging kind of reactions. So Iron Man, obviously, wow, people really fucking liked Iron Man. Mm. But then you had Thor come along, and it was like, well, people like that. And even the Incredible Hulk, because it had Edward Norton, drew a big crowd where the last Hulk, no offense, because I always liked that one. It just, you know, it's Nick Nolte and... uh, Oh, Bruce, Bruce, Eric Banner. Bruce Banner played by by Eric Banner. (laughs) And it's not a bad one. It just wasn't, it was back in the era when that was more how they were written. They were a bit more disposable than, than the MCU. I think people were trying to make perhaps a little bit more out of them. Like it was Ang Lee, wasn't it? That did the first Hulk movie. Right. Right. It was just, it was a, he was very clearly not trying to make a comic book movie, which I think was what led a little bit to the downfall. You know, like I think that one of the great things about the MCU and perhaps this film in particular is how much they just leaned into the silliness of the comics and the, you know, the the colorfulness and the 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 bombasticness. Well, see, that's why I'm very interested to get your perspectives on this, Ed, because obviously I'm coming at this as a perspective where I have literally walked myself up to this. And if you do that with Ragnarok, like it is a joy to mm. hold. Like it is just the epitome of what they're doing still how they're keeping you tied into Marvel because mm. you're literally what's 12 15 movies in at this point yeah. you, you're approaching the end because mm. this is basically this is the last part of phase one part one of phase three because phase mm. three was divided into two parts mm-hmm. um virtually just so they could sell the dvds that way to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. the thor ragnarok is the last one you get before you get to black panther so it goes it's going to go black panther infinity wars ant-man and wasp Endgame. Endgame, and then Far From Home will finish it up, and that will be the end for me. Thank God. Well, we'll like, see. You know, Black Widow's coming. That's all phase four. So everything okay. after Far From Home is on a different trajectory. Okay. So it, it follows a different thing, and that's why I'll watch, and I will finish S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, guys. I said I'd watch season seven of S.H.I.E.L.D. and just finish that off, because that's been a great show. Yeah. So when I talk about the television and the blog, I'll mention that. But again, I hijacked, as I usually do, Ed. Mm-hmm. So keep telling me here. So... 
you did you read Thor as a kid then at all? I didn't. No, okay. I did you I, read I, any of the Avengers as a kid? Not really. I in fact I don't really remember reading many comic books. Okay. I I I did a fair amount of Spider Man, but it was a weird time in the Spider Man series. Okay. It was the Scarlet Spider and the clones and they're always Spider Man one of the most <laughs> if not the I think it is the most popular comic book for Marvel. Yeah. Um, you know the one I used to have up issue three hundred and sixty five. You know what I mean? Like the Uncanny X Men. It ran for a very long. Time. Yeah, 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 and it has a lot of really good stories. In but there. but I remember that my brother had bought these books for the uh, Marvel role playing game, and it was just like character sheets of all the Marvel heroes and villains, and we used to just pour over it and obsess over the yeah, artwork and sure. stuff, and it was uh, really, really, really cool. Um, and uh, but but certainly, I was very aware of Thor. Very aware of Iron Man, uh, Captain America as well. And that's what we're talking about. So getting back to your first point, you didn't particularly like the first two Thors at all, no, right? No, I felt that um, Kenneth Branagh had gone at it from uh, like a Shakespearean point of view. I, You know, and, and we do, sometimes we share a brain. I, I don't agree, but I know what you're coming from mm. on that because it's Kenneth Branagh. And yeah. how many, Kenneth Branagh, if you haven't caught his Shakespeare, his Hamlet is my favorite Hamlet. I still think it's the best one. much ado about nothing. Like, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's a phenomenal, he's, phenomenal He's director. absolutely incredible. Um, I'm not sure that the cast that he was given uh, had what it... That, that's unfair because Hilston is a fantastic actor. I think Wait, that is that Tom Tom, Tom Hiddleston, yes, yeah. Loki. Yeah, as English as they come, and like uh, yeah, like super posh. Yeah, yeah, but I when I say that, sorry, I should really preface that because people are gonna be like, "What the fuck does that mean, Jason?" Like it could mean a variety of things for me. What I mean is like English celebrities, right? So English male actors. You have there were the Hugh Grants back in the day. Now it's the Benedict Cumberbatches yeah. and the Tom. And these are dudes that I could just totally picture sitting around. You know, my day-to-day and hanging out with these guys. I'm like, how do they end up getting these? Like, where do they find these guys? You know what I mean? Like, these are all white-collar city workers to me. Yeah. But uh, Tom Hiddleston, uh, of Anthony Hopkins, uh, obviously, and Chris Hemsworth, who I really think is underrated That's as right. an actor. Not Liam Hemsworth. I made sure I memorized it for this podcast. One of those Hemsworths. Sorry, Hemsworth. There's brothers. a third Hemsworth that shows up at the, in, at the beginning of this Can one. I be the fourth Hemsworth I if mean, you guys probably. are all so successful with this? I'm sure you could I did apply. try to get in the Baldwin clan. They wouldn't let me. <laughs> like, no, sorry, mate. Uh, um, so I, I felt that that was... <coughs> perhaps they went a little bit too far in that direction, even sure. though I, I thought it was an interesting concept to go for. And then yeah, right. I mean, the, like, and let's just delve into that a little bit deeper. Uh, like, I mean, the, the mix in the first one, the mix of the comedy with the seriousness was mm, just the part that did it for me. Interesting. Like, had it been, I expected it to be, because the comic book would never was as tongue, at least to me as a six-year-old or a yeah, ten-year-old yeah, yeah. reading it, mm. was never tongue-in-cheek. So I got into the Thor comic book around the time when the hammer changes. And I don't know if you heard about that storyline, but it's a good one. Mm. And I don't know, I've seen, see, I've seen Jake Gyllenhaal with something. So I'm like, oh, I hope he's not the one that takes the hammer. But <laughs> very well could be, because what happens is... Bates Ray Bill? No, he becomes someone, someone else at the end. But basically, mm. Thor gives up the hammer yeah, yeah, yeah. and this this is just your normal like american guy from jersey mm. ends up inheriting it and so for a year he was the the guy on the front of the comic books and he was a cool looking guy he had like the he, he looked a bit rougher 
Then Thor. Thor always had the long blonde hair and the uh-huh. perfectly shaven whatever, and you're like, oh fuck off, Fabio. You know what I mean? Like, and this guy was more like what you'd see now as a Norseman, so like yeah. a beard yeah. and you scraggly hair. Yeah. But then at the end of the year, like this is typical comic books. I was devastated as like an eleven year old when this happened. They got rid of that guy and brought Thor back, and it was like, well, Thor is taking his hammer back now. Too bad. And they gave this guy another like comic book that fizzled out after about six months, and I was like. Dude, they just shafted that poor guy. Like, <laughs> takes the hammer, beast Thor for a year, and then Thor just decides he wants to back the little, you know, prissy guy. Um, I mean, I think, I think I need to rewatch it, obviously, because mm. I can't remember it being funny. Um, it just it balanced really well. As I said, you know, I'm a huge Natalie Portman fan. I yeah. just think she's versatile. She always makes me laugh. She probably reminds me of like those girls I got along with back at home mm. back in the day. I think she does. Like mm. I get that vibe. But her comedicness as the scientist is just perfect to me. It's like this whole balance between the fantastical and the reality. And the fantastical has to win because you're in the MCU. And I like the, um, what's the name of the Swedish actor? Um, uh, yeah, he plays a pretty big part in Phase yeah. 1 and Phase 2. Yeah, and yeah, I know massive. I'm, we're not Swedish, so we never remember the name. He's, he's Scar, Scar, Stellan Skarsgård. Skarsgård, there we go. Because yeah. all his sons are like in everything. Skarsgård, you just yeah. see that everywhere, right? They're like, you know... Right. And he does a good job in Pennywise, that. like everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, he's great. He's great. She, she's good. I, and then I think what annoyed me about The Dark World, I think, was... Uh, my expectations were much higher. Okay. Because from the um, from the trailers, it just looked really, really good. And then the bad guy was really forgettable. Did you think so? The dark yeah. elf. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember his name. No, I can't either. But but that one to be again, it just depends, right? So mm. the first one to me was like it was funny, it was okay. But that one has that. You know, it's Loki's the bad guy, but then mm. you have that thing that comes, and it's it's all largely forgettable. It's supposed yeah. to be like, welcome to Thor's world. Yeah, yeah. And he's in love, and you're like, okay, that's great. And I love a love story, so maybe that's the other reason I like that one. Mm. Uh, and then you get in the dark world, and it was kind of like, again, it's what I told you about Phase 2. In Phase 2, they just start developing, they were like, testing out what people liked in the first one. And then if you expressed interest, that's why Iron Man gets two more films in Phase 2, because people clearly liked Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark, mm. and we're, we're mm. gelling with that. So they're like, okay, we'll put him at the front. But then they're like, Thor did well, so we'll give him another one. And that one was bigger. I saw that one in the cinemas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that one was bigger. Like, yeah, yeah. everything was just a little bit bigger. It wasn't in New Mexico. Mm. It was in the middle of London. Yeah, yeah. And shit was, shit was happening. You mm. know what I mean? And then you were all in these galaxies. Mm. And that's gradually how Marvel has built up their world. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, the, 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 the growth has been really interesting. And I think that's maybe where you get a... Uh, you know, beneficial point of view because you're kind of watching them fresh. Yeah. And you can see the progression very clearly. Yeah, so to explain in briefness, and everything I'm trying to do is brief because there's so much I could say about this, and this is the problem why we decided to have some of these podcasts because what I decided to do about a year and a half ago, I never really watched the Marvel films. I watched the Phase 1 stuff. I watched, I think, all the ones that came out with the original. In fact, I remember a conversation in your car where you were like, oh man, this superhero thing's a fad. That's right. It's that, gonna pass. That's right. And it's absolutely <laughs> what I said. And I and I wholeheartedly believed that at the time. And then the problem was, I got more into film, especially as a producer. And, and Ed is really good about bringing up people that he, he champions people he doesn't know, but he knows that are good in the industry. And so the name Kevin Feige got dropped like 700 times to me until I got annoyed and was like, who is this guy? And why does he get... And then you look at a picture of him. Kevin, I'm just being honest because I'm a very vain and a bit of an asshole, if I'm honest. And I was like, 
That's Kevin Feige? He's such a normal dude. You, yeah, you look yeah. like just such a normal dude, which, like, dude, I'm screwed because I don't look like a normal dude. I'm like, I don't want to be Kevin Feige. So, so, but then I was like, what did this guy do that was so awesome? Then I looked at the numbers behind MCU and what they'd done because I think I started getting interested in doing all this around when Endgame came out because I hadn't seen enough of the Marvel. I'd seen Infinity Wars and didn't really get it. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm not going to Endgame because I really don't think I'm going to understand this. And I should have. I really should have seen that in the theaters because apparently it was like the most amazing send-off of all time. But now I get to enjoy it at my home, you know, yeah. when I get my chance around to it. And it will be epic when but I get you to need, it. But you need, like, you need, like, no distractions. Yeah, it's... It's like, Jason, this is it. This is the moment, yeah. You, know, you, you definitely need that. Strong strong glass of whiskey. Kind of. Like, that's that's why it's such a great film to watch in a theatre. Because you're just, like, on the edge of the sea. You feel like you're kind of alone, mm. you know? But at the same time, you're getting that vibe that you get in a the theatre mm. with other people who They're are... are also like, feeling the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, putting that into post right now, Cineworld, Cineworld closed for the mm. foreseeable food. Just putting it in posterity for our R. podcast. R.I.P. We were talking about that again today, so that'll be a whole other podcast, but the industry is going to have to shift for a while because everything has been pushed back to next year and no, no films means no cinema and no cinema means, well, which is different. <laughs> So, but getting back, getting back to what we were talking about, the deep dive that I did. So I decided to start from beginning to end. I have, it's using the digital spy, and I'll, I'll include the link in the podcast if I remember, and I should remember because I listen to these. Um, you know, it's a link that will take you through everything from phase one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And so basically that takes you to the end of Avengers Endgame up through Far From Home because it's the official end of that storyline mm-hmm. as to when they said we're done now. But what I did, what was interesting, is I... So, so, sorry, can I just ask, where does that start exactly? Where does, like, the Marvel that, timeline, yeah. the MCU, it starts Iron Man. Iron Man 1, right? Yeah, yeah. so we go, sorry, we start from Iron Man as the first release, yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's an order of release, so that's how I'm doing it. And then I meld it in, because it, it follows this article by Digital Spy. And what Digital Spy did, which was helpful, is it mixes in all the television shows. Mm-hmm. So basically, I've got it down to a science where, and I've explained this on one podcast just once, so I'll explain it again just in case anyone hasn't listened to that one. I I mean, I literally watch the TV shows in order of date of release. And so, for example, I've watched the first three Inhumans, then Thor Ragnarok was released, and now I will go back and watch the rest of the Inhumans up to the point that it starts crossing over with another show, which mm-hmm. I believe the next one is The Punisher. So a lot of the Netflix ones are easy because they're all released once. Like, there's mm. no sequential ones. So if The Punisher comes up, I watch all 13 episodes right. at the same time, mm. which let me tell you, I wish it didn't have to, if I'm honest with you, <laughs> because Netflix ones are really slow. And we're going to talk about that in the blog post. But that's what I'm doing all the way to Far From Home. And like I said, as an additional bonus, even though it's not part of Phase 3, I'm going to watch the end of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I watch S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and all that with... And I, and I think that actually the ABC TV shows, the Agent Carter and S.H.I.E.L.D., are the best ones because they really tie into like the film events and stuff like that, don't yes. they? Yes, and, and I would say Inhumans is the other one. That's okay. an ABC one. And, and and like I said, I told Ed on the... You know, since we're talking all things MCU right now, I told Ed on the phone when I called him this week on Inhumans, I, I just was surprised how much pushback it got listen i didn't think it was brilliant but i've seen it all guys like and that includes i should also point out that includes director's commentaries behind the scenes and everything else too which is really fun because now i know a shitload about people who direct for for mc which i find (laughs) immensely valuable um but listen in humans like the decisions made 
you know, to put it in IMAX, I didn't get that in the slightest because right. that's an expensive yeah. adventure to take. Yeah. Like, it costs a lot to, to use the IMAX cameras, as yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this wasn't, it was a glorified TV show. Like, yeah. cool, like, but it looked like Lost. And I, I'm just trying to think how Lost would look on an IMAX screen. I'd probably mm. be like, this is gross. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, would you say then, it's hard because obviously... We will get back to Thor Ragnarok, I promise. Well, this question is specifically about Thor Ragnarok. Oh, there but, we go, see. Um... So, obviously, you haven't seen the rest of Phase 3. I've seen some of it, but yeah. Right. Do you feel that Thor Ragnarok is perhaps... Where does it rank among the solo films of other characters? Top top, top five, easily, if not top three. Okay. So, as I'm watching now, yeah. the best films so far, the ones that have kicked things into high gear, and this is shown by the numbers. So, mm. again, a lot of this, you don't have to take my word for it. Just look at which ones made the most money. Mm. Civil War. Yeah. We, we go through a period, like, at the end of Phase 2, where Captain America Winter Soldier is good, but they're still all a bit sporadic. And Age of Ultron is... I wouldn't say it wasn't good. It just wasn't good for the series. Like, it's slow. It doesn't really take you anywhere. And it doesn't... You know, one of the key problems with Age of Ultron for me was also it doesn't make sense. Like, why in God's name? Like, I get what they were trying to do, but it was a story fabricated for the sake of fabricating the story. Yeah. Like, they wanted to show a, 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 a post-realistic look at a superhero. How do we make them accountable? Mm-hmm. However, you had the key superhero create the key supervillain, and nothing really happens to him. Right. We run into Civil War, which is just the better version of yeah. it. Because... It's almost as if they had to do yeah. Age of Ultron and have it go so badly for Civil War to pick it back up and say, well, actually, like we were listening to you, audience, and we understood you got confused with Age of Ultron, so here's why we did it. Mm. And it says, you know, imagine what it would really be like to have superheroes. Mm. And that's a good thought. It's yeah. a postmodern look at superheroes, sure. right? So that's up there easily. And, and the, the production value, again, from Civil War, again, is that's where Ultron falls down again. Josh Whedon goes on, you know, we've talked about that commentary. If you ever want to hear the most depressing commentary known to man, yeah. you know, Josh Whedon. And it's because I feel for him. Like, it's the situation that Ed and I and any other director who prays for that big break and then gets it. And, and Josh has had plenty of them, so this isn't, like, his only one, but... You know, he had it looked like too much put on his shoulders for that one. That they just didn't have the script right from the get go, and they should have reworked. They it rushed it. They, they, the the first one made all the money, and they said, "Okay, well, we need we need another yeah, one." Yeah, you have to. Count. And, and, and there's truth to that. That's what I mean. Like, I really try to take the blame off of Josh Whedon on that one because it's like, you know, because we've talked about it, he had to go to counseling after all this mm. because he felt so bad about how it came out. And it's like it's not a bad film. It just is an odd blip. Mm. It reminded me, to be fair, what it reminded me the most of is the second Pirates of the Caribbean. The second Pirates mm. of the Caribbean isn't good. It's really bloated. It's really bloated. It had a lot of really good elements in it, though. Like, yeah, almost yeah. as if it could have been pieced together into some yeah, better yeah. stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's how I felt about the second Avengers. For me, um... Thor and Ragnarok. Civil War fixes that, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. For me, Thor Ragnarok is Thor's best film. It's also, for me, Hulk's best film. Because for me, it's kind of still a Hulk film as well. That's right. Well, because Hulk never had any films. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, he had the he first had the, one, yeah. and then Edward Norton decides to be just too difficult to deal with on that one. And, and Ed, you can do what you want, man. Like, I just—that's the rumors. That's what was told, mm. and I'm sure money had something to do with it. But you coming out of the series kind of took people's attention away from Hulk. It right. just happened. And uh, Mark Ruffalo was great. Oh my god, he's know. the best! Like, it made me like Mark Ruffalo. And yeah, Mark yeah, yeah. now, like, dude, like Dark Water, awesome. I still haven't seen that. 
Oh my god! It, I just it, it, I really appreciate how they did that because Mark Ruffalo wasn't someone I had ever heard of as an actor, but once he was the Hulk, I was like, I really kind of like how he, you just have like, and I love how I talk to them on the podcast as if they're listening, right? <laughs> but he has this sensibility, right? Yeah, like yeah. He has this way of of being. Uh, a leading man. He has that stature, so he's a big guy. Charm, you gotta have, yeah. yeah, you gotta have, you gotta be 6'5", you know, the shoulders. I don't have any of that shit. I'll never be a leading man. You know what I mean? But he's got that, but he's also got this really soft nature to him in mm. his acting. It's mm. like, it's as if you're talking to your neighbor mm. and I don't know why it works so well, but mm. it's just like, you just feel good when he's talking in any scene. You're like, yeah. oh, all right. It's a bit like a Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has that. Tom yeah, Hanks an every man, an every man. Yeah, thing. just that kind of, that he yeah. gets you, you know, he he understands what yeah. it's like to be you and the team, you know, on the other side. Yeah. So for me, best thought, in terms of how where it stands among the other standalones, yes, for me, Civil War is just head and shoulders above all the other standalone films. And that's the films. brothers, the, the, Ru- the Russo, Russo brothers, brothers. Yes, yeah. who yeah. then were just given the keys to the to the. Well, Empire. that's that's it, they did. Uh, they they also did uh, Winter Soldier though. I, I guess like maybe it's my favorite thing to get the production bit out about why I love Kevin Feige. Kevin, you turned and we do analyze these franchises a lot. It's not like I really know what's going on. So, but from a guy who's very interested in the business now. And from a guy who studies this stuff, I studied Star Wars when that came out. I want to see these franchises. I want to see how people are making money on this stuff, just because I'm fascinated, if I'm mm. honest. Kevin ran, from what I can see, and this is just from what I can see, one of the best meritocracies in Hollywood. In other words, if you could make a decent film and sustain it, then you got the green light. However, and this is the exact opposite of what happened with Inhumans and the first season of Iron Fist, which was Scott think of his last name now but he gets fired so does jeff or joseph loeb because they don't pull off the miracle and they don't pull off what they're supposed to do but where he saw you know james gunn pulls off a miracle with Mm -hmm. guards of the galaxy and has handed the keys they stick by him for the third one when everybody's like you gotta fire this guy because he said things about i can't even remember it was now he made a pedophile joke on twitter when he was like 19 yeah when when you were young stupid and and, you know had a podcast that you were doing and (laughs) talking to other people right yeah (laughs) so they stuck by him though at the end because disney you would expect to go the opposite way and said well we don't know what we're going to do but there are also if you look you know the the one that i've talked about in blog post was was ant-man you know they had to hand the keys off to that to somebody else because they just couldn't reach an agreement with uh, with Ed's favorite, um, Edgar, Sean, Wright. Edgar Wright. Mm. What I want to say, Sean Wright. Oh, Sean of the Dead. Yeah. Edgar Wright. So, um, you know, that's how that went. And that, you know, that, that's why this is so cool. Like, look at these different stories. It's how you're supposed to do these things. Mm. Like, there just is not a whole lot. Where we went through Star Wars, we couldn't quite figure out, like, how did this happen? And who had this conversation here? When I go through MCU stuff, I never have that problem. I never have to say, there never has to be a brunch. Because, Kevin, you took care of the brunch. You took them all out. You said, hey, man, this is how we're going to do things. Can I, can I say, though, I, I completely agree with the meritocracy aspect. But I will say that he's a very good dictator. In the sense that he has a vision and, you know, if you're not rowing in the same direction, that's sorry. That's right. And I think that is one of the most important things to bring up. Now that we're doing more of an MCU talk all of a sudden. I mean, it was always going that way. <laughs> of course. That's why we did it. Um, I think that's right. Because the stories you hear, again, this is the benefit of going through all the background material. Which, that's another reason I'm doing this in the... The phases of the part one is part two, so you see the bonus disc and all the different DVDs. But they talk a lot about Kevin Feige. Obviously, all the directors do. And it's exactly kind of, as you said now, 
dictator, I would say a benevolent, yeah, benevolent yeah. dictator Completely. because they can be two completely different ways. I don't think he ever really. I don't get. I still have yet to hear the director that's been pissed off by him, and that's surprising because, dude, I watch a lot of commentary, and there's a lot of pissed off directors at a lot of producers. Wasn't there? Wasn't there a bit of a thing between um, the guy who directed Doctor Strange, who was going to direct the second one, but he's originally from like horror, I think. Yeah, so the guy who did Doctor Strange... This is a good story. So the guy who did Doctor Strange was the guy who wrote Clown. And the and guy who wrote and directed Clown. And he got to write... this. I was telling you about this today because I was telling you when you do this stuff. He got to write and direct about Clown because he put a fake trailer up for it one day. Eli Roth watched it and said, Jesus, we got to do this. And so Eli Roth, out of the blue, just called this guy up and said, you want to make that movie you're talking about? Mm. I've been telling that we need to get stuff on YouTube. <laughs> I want to get that phone call. Scott uh, Derrickson. Yeah, Scott Derrickson. So, and I didn't know he wasn't chosen for the second one. As I said, you're more up to date on this than I am with this. Because so. he also did The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Correct. And Sinister. Um, oh, and, I'm sorry. Is Clown on there? This might not be the same guy then. Um, Clown may be the guy for Spider-Man. Career filmography. Oh, because I skipped... Hellraiser Inferno. Sorry, because I skipped that one. Because we just went through, like, three of my favorite Marvel films. So, uh-huh. we went from Civil War, right, yeah. to Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. Then we went to Spider-Man Homecoming, which I, I called it's you... It's very good. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very, very good. good. And now we're on Thor Ragnarok. Mm. And I'm like... I mean, I'm just a kid in the candy store. Mike, Michael Keaton as the vulture. It's just the... <sighs> okay, so what I would say happened in Marvel that was so good is they got past phase two and then they started realizing that they they had to do something different with phase three that it wasn't just continuing the storyline it's you have to make the films worth watching again and so Thor Ragnarok is such a complete rethinking of Thor it's Thor on an adventure finally Mm, yeah you know what I mean Spider-Man Homecoming was like we hadn't heard that story that way yet. You know what I mean? Like it's been done. I, I, you know, I totally get the the Tobey Maguire days. Those yeah, were some yeah. of the ones that I loved growing yeah, up me on. Too, yeah. But never has it been done so high school, so well, yeah. so with the punk rock vibe in the background mm. in the New York thing. Because Spider Man was always the whole new. Young Aunt May thing didn't bother me at all. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it made for some very funny moments. Exactly. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, what they're talking about. The other thing people forget with comic books, and why I think reading comic books and watching the films is important. Like, because too many people read graphic novels now, and and like getting these longer stories where they don't see comics as as malleable as they really are. Mm. Comic book stories are probably some of the most malleable stories. You change them. You're supposed to. That's that's how you create the stories. And. Ed just heard about my writing process like three days ago and then has now probably figured out that's how I write. Like, it has to be malleable Mm. because the story may take you in different directions. And in phase three, Kevin lifted a bit or or maybe planned this all along to say, we're going to make Marvel different now. Mm. We're going to make it look different. So Mm -hmm. Thor Ragnarok looks like nothing I had seen before. However, it fits perfectly into the Zetgeist of 2017. Mm. Like it looks like a 2017 film. Can I can I postulate a theory? Okay. Um, the better Marvel films have very very good villains, and I think that Hela, Kate Blanchett is awesome in this. Oh yes, but that's an interesting point you bring up because she was when I heard she was in it, mm. I was really worried. Really, Kate Blanchett. If you're listening, Kate. I'm always talking to him, right? Just come on my show. Come and say hi. 
what are you guys talking about? Um, listen, I like Kate Blanche is like up there when yeah, it comes yeah, to yeah. actresses to me. However, when it comes to these types of films, I worry mm. because I she has so so many films and I'm like, yeah, I loved her in that. Mm. Yeah, I loved her in that. Oh my mm-hmm. god, like she's the kind of person. Like if you were in my presence, Kate, I might actually not be able to speak because, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. she's that she's good incredible. of an actress. Yeah, like yeah. incredible. But then I remember Indiana Jones five. Oh, and she that's true. butchered the villain in that. That's butchered true. it, and that's it was. True. I don't know why it was. Like I, it's true. I've never watched a commentary to find out that why the Russian accent is so bad on that. Like there's a variety of reasons mm. that that film is terrible, but mm. it was terrible. That's true. I will concede that. And to be fair, she's she's great. She's she's good in this, uh, but Heller is perhaps not the most interesting villain. Like you think about Killmonger in Black Panther. I think Loki in... It's in... just, what I was trying to do is I was watching her acting there versus her acting as the Russian woman and yeah. being like, is it just as campy? Because that's right, what right. really... Because when she played Galadriel, she wasn't campy yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's because the entire world is camp, right? right, right, right. When you're sitting there with Ian, Ian McKellen, your favorite Shakespearean dude that you've been on stage with doing God knows what, right? And you're all... Exactly. And you're all in fucking, like... The only thing I'm mad about is that I wasn't invited to the party. Like, that must have been the coolest fucking filming ever to just be like... Dude, we're fucking Imagine elves, being orcs, and at hobbits. The pub at the end of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, okay, uh, so how much of the success of this film then is down to Taika Waititi? Oh, how do you know? How'd you know? <laughs> he knew I was going to say it. I'm going to give it like ninety percent of this film. Yeah. I'm going to give ten to Kevin because Kevin kept Taika on track yeah. because the first thing I told Ed about was watching yeah. this film and you have to like this is a perfect reason to buy the box set phase three part one this is the last film I believe of that collection for Marvel MCU um, just take my money Marvel you know <clears throat> and, um, and every single movie has an intro by the director so Scott Derrickson did Doctor Strange uh-huh. and um Whoever did, uh, why can I never remember the directors anymore? The director who did Homecoming did Homecoming. Okay. And th- those are all, the reason I'm saying this is they're all fairly standard and I just put them on anyway because it's always like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I made this film. Thank you, Marvel. And I'm like, one of these days, I would need to do one of these. Uh, <laughs> like, uh-huh. one of these days. And then you get to take and he's like, he starts with like, I made a film. It's about Thor and Ragnarok and some things. And I made the film to impress my parents because my parents like J.J. Abrams and I'm better than him. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, he took the piss. And I was like, whoa, like, how much does Marvel respect you that you're on the director's intro that, like, a 10-year-old's going to watch and they're letting you be as goofy as you want to be? I'm like, man, you must have some really big balls. Like... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what he's like as a director, but every film he's made, I've loved. And I like the fact that he just doesn't seem to listen. Like, he does his own thing. He does his own thing. And I think that that is perhaps the most impressive thing. I'm going to go so far as to, as to give, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it 50-50, man. I'm going to say 50% of the success of this is Kevin Feige. Because, and I, that this may be like way too much credit, but. He set the boundaries for what an MCU movie was. And I think he made difficult choices along the way where someone else might have said, oh, God, this is a really, like, respected young director. Maybe I should just let them do whatever. No, he 
set boundaries. No, there, there is... And, and I feel like he also gambled on, you on, know... On a complete, you know, people, our favorite word, tonal shift, right? Yeah, like, yeah. something that didn't feel... Completely. Even like a Marvel film at first. Completely. I think I think you're right. So I think, you know, props back to Kevin as well, and this is always Ed, Ed, Ed talking about Kevin Feige, because he is, he is godlike sometimes to us. <laughs> but yeah... The reason I do tend to agree with you on that is the restrict. You can see it, like you can see where he said, "No, we have to keep this Marvel. Like yeah. this is part of the continuity." But it's so when he does that, mm. instead of blowing the joke that Taika wanted to do, he just makes it subtle in the background. Yes. So he lets it. He lets the joke, the timing of the joke, happen. But then it's always done in a Marvel context, mm. and for some reason. Again, it just shows two people that must have worked rather. I, I very well I together. Assume very well together. worked well together yeah. because it was clear no one was stepping on anyone else's toes. I mean, if nothing else, just from the point of view of him saying to Taika, Taika, I trust you. Okay, uh, we've had the conversations that we needed to have. You know, go and do it. But having, like you say, having had those conversations, having had the brunch. And well, and and I think yeah, and I think the other thing to remember is like it doesn't always have to go well. Like with that, now Kevin's lucky that it has on so many occasions. It shows that he's got good instincts for this, obviously, mm. right? Like mm. I'd say, but you know, would assume he has good instincts for this. Mm. But those are the chances. You know, this it's clear he had to take a chance with this guy because yes. this is not. So this is the real producer role. This yeah. is what I love about being a producer is. Yeah. You're on that knife edge. You're saying, am I going to tank the MCU because this is not going to be faithful enough to the phase two and phase one stuff that I've done on Thor or the MCU in general? Or do I go with my gut that tells me we need to push this in a slightly new direction? In humans, mm -hmm. probably the more classical of the two going out at this time in October, mm -hmm. bombs. Mm -hmm. No one goes to see it. Mm -hmm. Fresh new zany Thor Ragnarok mm -hmm. blows the charts yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And it had competition at that time. I can't remember what else was playing, but yeah, no, Blade I mean, Runner Lo 2049, Logan, I think, Logan, was out. Logan, Logan was around out. that time as well. So you've got competition out there, and it, <coughs> it blows it away. Mm -hmm. Same way Civil War did. Mm -hmm. Civil War made more sense to me just because I, I remember going down to Stratford Mall in Westfield, Stratford Mall, and they used to have this huge billboard up for Tony and, and Captain America, mm. and it was a mall awesome. It was like, whose side are you on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would, it would just really jazz you up. Yeah. So you knew Civil War was going to bring them back to some kind of like action and pace mm. that they'd lost from some of the previous ones. Mm. And then Spider-Man, like I said, was this gem that comes from Sony that you're like, oh my God, that was the best Spider-Man mm. film ever. Again, though, like a lot of influence from, from Marvel and from Kevin... Yeah, well, you on, had it with on, because it also on, I told you it has Kim Kim Lapaska Kim Pasca. So the person that's produced all the the Kevin Feige of the Spider Man world met with yeah. Kevin and they agreed what they could agree, yeah, which yeah. is what needed to happen. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like this is the difficult thing about dealing with with I think comic franchises that have been spread out over people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you want the story, you got to make the deal. But it had to work for everybody. Everybody says, "Oh, but it has to fit the storyline." You no, know, it has to be profitable for Sony as well. Mm -hmm. Like. Yeah. Sony has no reason otherwise to give up the rights to that. But just going back real quick to the whole like producer director relationship mm. and the the importance of that, um, you know, because uh, I mean to throw another example. And I know it's not a very popular example, um, but uh, Tarantino uh, was very heavily influenced by the Weinstein's. Mm. Um, early on in his career and he was told to recut things he was you know and I, I think that sometimes as filmmakers we think that 
oh, if I had the freedom to tell the story that I want to tell, it would be magnificent. We do. We absolutely do. I mean, that's that's the writer thing as right. well. Writers are always like, if I could just write this story, people will read it. But so often it's the producer kind of pulling on the reins and directing and channeling that allows like the best thing to come out of it. Yeah, well, that's that's why that's why I started as the producer. And it's probably like my favorite of the three. I do like the writing and directing, but the producing like producing's what suits an enthusiastic guy like me. The whole idea is we want your stuff and I keep saying this to people, you know, feel free to keep sending me stuff. Like we want your stories out there. That's the whole reason you become a producer. It's not because you've got your own stuff. Now that's how I became the writer and director, but you know, like the producer, I just want to take other people's stuff and make, you know, bring it to the world because it's a process. You can't just, you know, just do it. So that being said, like as a producer, your first thought has to be, how am I going to do that? And, and that's what directors, I think, especially artistic directors, 100% forget. It's the art, Jason. Like, <laughs> I get it. Like, I've been there, man. And trust me, I've drank the Kool-Aid. You know, dandelions, mate. Watch it a hundred times. That's my art. You know what I mean? And I'm very proud of that. The stuff I'm writing now and the stuff we're printing up, I'm very proud of that. That's art. However, just had the discussion yesterday with Ed about our project saying, which one of these do we honestly think anyone's going anyone's gonna to care about? And let's be honest here. Because if I can't get funding, if I can't get people to want to do the project, then it doesn't happen. So Mr. Director, and I am saying Mr. Director because it is usually the directors who kick up the most of us, sometimes the writers, but Mr. Director, like, you may have what you think is the most brilliant deal in the world, but unless the rest of the world agrees with you, the film may never get made. Unless you're going to go make it by yourself and don't need me. But that's the whole point. People call in a producer because they want to get their film made, and it's only going to happen on the basis that someone else wants to watch the film. Otherwise, when I go to get the team, that's the big theme the past month or two has been, now I need to make the team, and we're new, so we don't have much of a team. So I'm constantly calling in favors and trying to chase up on people and meet new people to kind of work on our projects. But that's what I mean. With Going back to your original point, because it is a big rant just because I felt producer stuff, no one ever hears from producers, so it's like... <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, it's not because they want money. It's because, you know, God knows you could do a million other things and make more money than producers could. You know, it's that love of getting a project off the ground and into the air. It's a very misunderstood position. It's a rush. It's a rush. But Kevin Feige, that's why he's the epitome of that, because he loved Marvel. He must have been like a six-year-old kid that clung to these comic books, and he was determined. Mm. And so he didn't care how it got done. He was going to make it happen. That's the producer mentality. Hooker by crook, I believe in the project, I'll make it happen. Mm. So the problem with directors, like I said, is that they don't always understand that that's what we're all about. It's not about money. Mm. I, you need money to keep it working. You need money to do anything really successfully with film. And you need people to like the film so you can get the money. So that's the triangle, as it were. But, you know, our job is just to get it out there and, and let it shine its pretty little light. So thinking of Thor Ragnarok again and going back to what... What I wanted to ask you when you're talking about producer-director relationship... Mm. How do you think this compares with Taika and John Favreau's relationship? Like, how would you compare the two? Because I, I mean, I have my own views, but I'm interested mm -hmm. to hear from you on it because, yeah, I mean, you watch the Mando episodes mm -hmm. and you've seen the behind the scenes stuff, the gallery stuff, which is, we encourage you to watch that. It's a really good kind of set of meet the directors mm -hmm. kind of bit from Disney. Yeah. But then we have this. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll, I'll stop there and let you comment. Mm. Uh, I think it's very different. Um, I think that the the 
environment that John Favreau was trying to create on The Mandalorian was one of like a team of filmmakers who are together in it and they're there every day and it's about getting up early and drinking shit coffee and it like a it's almost like a very indie feeling. Yeah. At um, least at that round table they sit at the end when they're all yeah. talking, you get that feel. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Kevin Feige is much he's he's a bit more of the puppet master, you know? He's like thinking ten moves ahead and, you know, whilst Taika was 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 making this film. I I would I would put money on the 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 idea that uh, Kevin Feige was probably very hands off, and was like okay, you know you do your thing, and then at the end we'll come together we'll see you know everything, um, because obviously you know he's gonna have his network of of, of people on set right. Mm-hmm. That will report. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's going well, or you know, the the director's clashing with the, with the, you know, with the actor or whatever. Um, so I think he's probably quite hands off, um, which I think I would appreciate as a as a filmmaker because one of the things that I think is forgotten often is have you ever you know if you sit through the credits of a one of these films. It's like fifteen minutes long. Yeah, I just did today. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. It's just an ocean of names, and the director is supposed to be the person who's managing everything, right? Like, I think the amount of stress on going to a film in the of the size of Marvel is probably like quite intense. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, on a small indie film, it's not stress, but it's a different kind of stress. No, right? I, I, yeah, and I know exactly what you mean. I mean, we talked about this with progression, because, like, you know, we talk about, oh, man, we'd love to make that Marvel film tomorrow, but as it stands now, I've never directed with more than one person, two people on set. And, like, my next goal is to get that set when I got, like, ten people, right. and then work up to having twenty people, because it's a process, and so... Maybe you're just describing Kevin kind of respecting the process. Like, he knew Taika was not likely to have sat on a set quite that big before. And some bosses, and this is the same true in my day job, you have the same kind of type of boss. Some bosses micromanage, and so you're going to have some bosses, and, and Harvey Weinstein comes out, you know, across sometimes is a bit like this, um, when you hear the stories about what he was like. But you'll have some that are going to dictate the whole thing. And right. just say, you're making my film because I'm funding it, so... Yeah. And those are probably the horror stories you hear, you know, from everybody saying that. But I think the best bosses, and this isn't just because we like Kevin Feige, but the best bosses are like this. And we saw John Favreau being like this as as the executive producer on his show on The Mandalorian. Mm. You know, the best bosses trust their people. Yeah. And you, you don't hire them if you don't trust them. And that's exactly. why hiring is such a big deal. Yeah. But once you've hired them, like if they make a shit film, you trusted them to make that shit shit film. Mm. Like you trusted their vision, you trusted who they were, so you wouldn't have picked them up if, it, it, you know, it's just, you know, I think that's the worst thing is when a film goes bad and a producer turns their back on the director. Mm. It's like you hired him. It happens, right? It happens a lot. Yeah. You know, Alien 3 is probably the most famous version of that. Yeah. Because that goes through so Star many... Wars, man, like Rogue Squadron, you know, like yeah, sure. um, a lot of the the, the, it, the it, solo well, guys. We, we work, you know, we were talking about that earlier because we have had the discussion about Kathleen Kennedy, who is kind of the Kevin Feige over at Star Wars, and 
I don't like bad-mouthing Catherine because I've seen a lot of it done already. Like, I've seen too many people just use her as the linchpin as to why Star Wars didn't work. And I'm like, I think there's a, a variety of issues on their past right. Kathleen being able to kind of, like, There's also, the like, a, just a, a, a taste of misogyny in there, like... Misogyny and, well, and, and, again, like, it's based on completely different source material. Mm. So this is what we're talking about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, MCU... This this is genius from the get-go. Like, the reason I found it so fascinating once I got into it is you're talking about, you know, once you think about in concept what they've done, they've, they've stolen a whole line of, of comic books. <laughs> of storylines. Of storylines yeah. that they'll never have to pay for. Years and Do you know years, how long yeah. I spend going through internet stories and looking mm. at bestsellers and trying to figure out his rights to what? Like... It's a pain in the ever loving ass, and it does half the time. You're just going to purchase an option and, and and see if you know you might want to write a script on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So Do you know the guy who was the head of Marvel before Kevin Feige. No, his name was Akiva Goldsman, I think. Okay, um, and uh, he was the one responsible for selling Spider-Man to Sony. Okay, and uh, X-Men to Fox, and. Um, in a sense, though, laying the foundations for what could come later, right? Yeah. Because Marvel, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, were like bankrupt in the '90s, and uh, you know they had they needed the money more than they needed the rights to the films. Well, but it is interesting to see, you know, Feige's involvement in some of the missteps, like the Fantastic Four films, like early on and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and how. You know, he was in the trenches and he, he's he's had flops and Yeah, I know. and I think you know, talking about all that and, and wrapping up because we're getting towards the end, I think, of everything here with the uh with the discussion, but you know what I think is another misconception, and I even I'm very guilty of this, is the idea because even when we do this, this is all what we're doing is very artificial. The thing that I think is important to take from, you know, if we're talking for an indie film developer or indie filmmaker on their way up, what do you want to do? And again, this is a studio film, guy, so you need to have considerations past indie studio development, even though Marvel, uh, unlike some of the others, will pick you up for good indie films. It's just most of the people that make these types of films that we're talking about are not indie filmmakers. They are people who have played the studio game for a very long time. However, Marvel, an exception to this, but... What I will say is Kevin just had a goal. Like, I, I don't... Again, he talks about it incess- you know, incessantly. They never knew whether it was going to work or not. He just mm. said he was going to do it. All I can tell you from my angle of becoming a... You know, being a, a new producer. I would say young producer, but I'm not young. Um, but being a new producer, is that's exactly what it's like. You know, people tell you all these ideas. The only reason they don't get made is because no one does them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have an idea, you just have to get it made. And it's really by hook or by crook. And it may still fail horribly. Mm. I think... When you're producing, like, it becomes less of a point. Mm. Like, Kevin could take the losses because he said, I, I still want to see this to the end. And ultimately, you have to live or die by your, your success or failure. So, you know, had it been a big failure, maybe he would have had a different view on things. But really, for him, it had nothing to do with whether it was good or bad. I think it was more, we're going to get this done. We're yeah. going to do this. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing, the vision, you know. I think he's definitely got that. Uh, okay, um... 
Should we go through some of the things that we really liked about about Thor Ragnarok? Should we end with that? Should yeah, because yeah, like, I feel on... like we need to, to talk we, about we've that. We've MCU'd the hell out of this one. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is our gentle ramble in the nothingness. That is, uh, what are you guys talking about? But yes, so particular points, let's pick three apiece here. What are the three best points about Thor Ragnarok, then, from okay. your perspective? What scenes, characters, actors, anything you want, the three top bits, and then we'll close this out. Okay. Uh, number one is the brilliant use of the Jack Kirby art style. Um, is that who that is? That, that, yes, that kind of 80s? The, the, the trippy, like, stuff when they're in, when they're with uh, Jeff Goldblum, the Grandmaster. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the very the, Art Deco kind yes, of large. That's very Jack Kirby, very, like, okay. Doctor Strange and stuff like that. I absolutely adore that. Cool. Um... Tess Thompson, I think she's freaking awesome. Were, were you not happy with her? Oh, okay, Valkyrie. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't know who it is. Tell me who it is. Uh, I thought it was the woman. I was like, I thought she was really good, but I didn't know her name. Uh, she Phenomenal was in Dear White People. She was in is Creed. She, who is she in Dear White She's People? She's the main girl in Dear White People. In the movie? In the movie, I've yes. never seen the movie. I've only ever watched the The movie's show. brilliant. The movie's really, really good. Um, she's like the girl in Creed as well. Okay. She's, oh, she's beautiful, talented. Well, and see, this was a better... You know, she plays that role again. The same one we were talking about with Jessica Jones. And, like, I think she plays this one a bit better because it's just a bit more, like, it makes more sense. Like, yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's funny in a not laughing at her kind or, or like, in... Sorry, not laughing at her, but the... The tragedy of Jessica Jones is very like off-putting to find it funny when she's like having a beer in, exactly. in the defenders. Like, so, and stuff so like they that. like it's almost as if they're like, "Isn't that funny?" You're like, "No, no, none of this really is really tragic. not yeah. funny." Yeah. But with, but with with the character in in um yeah with with her character the Valkyrie like yeah. yes that is. You, it's because she can hold her own a bit better. The other problem you have with Jessica Jones, though, is like the the, the show itself cannot. And sorry, we're just talking all things MCU, <laughs> but the show itself cannot make up its mind about what it wants to be. Right? Is, are you pissed off at Jessica Jones? Is she an antihero? Right. Or is she is she is she, is she someone she, who, yeah. who is she an antihero who doesn't give a shit, mm. or is she an antihero who cares? And that's where the d- divide between the two. Yeah, the and defenders. I, was, I couldn't answer you know, that article, question. I'll now. talk about the defenders, and the defenders picks one of those, and I think it picks the wrong one because it was like we went through this whole catharsis of the first season of her learning that she actually does give a shit. She's just been traumatized by this right. horrible event right, right. that she can't get out of her mind. Mm. But then they went back to the defenders, and she just becomes this all I want to do is drink and funny drink and fuck kind of person. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, fine, yeah. but. Um, so definitely Tessa Thompson and Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum is ah, so you stole magical. one of mine, damn you! Uh, I'm sorry. You, I'll let you talk about him. Um, and the final thing is the immigrant song, like uh, the use of that twice. Yeah, the use of that song and in the trailer is so freaking good. Um, and you know, uh, we just did a video on Dirty Twenty about music, and I love the choice of using something unexpected. You know. Um, they do it a lot with Peaky Blinders as well with like kind of Oasis music and stuff like that. Right, and it's, it's part of, if you watch the new wave of MCU guys, so all the new ones, the Scott Derrickson's, the, the, uh, the James Gunn, uh, James Gunn especially, yeah. and then and obviously Taika, and then there's one more. 
Um, they all heavily, you know, influenced by music. The only one that didn't make it into there would have been Edgar Wright's, the other one that likes to cut to music. Yeah. Um, and he, obviously, there was, there was, you know, we've talked about, and I've written an article about kind of the, the difficulties they had. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, it's our door. Just kicked Eddie in the knee over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, like music, I think it's just because people are realizing how important it is. You know what I mean? We've, we've had Hype Williams. We've had all those music videos to teach you, like, it's an integral part of the experience and it just enhances it you know if you do it right and it did in this case and again used three times which is usually a cardinal sin right Mm. but beautiful Mm. absolutely so what about what about you your three well number one would have to be jeff goldman jeff goldman being one of my favorite actors that had fallen (laughs) by the wayside again he always does because people forget because he's a very i would say natural actor and that's because like, he's not a naturally good actor it's just the way he talks you assume you're just talking to jeff goldblum mm. and he's one of those personalities yeah so certain actors we hire because we just like them mm-hmm. and people that's why he has that show on disney now which is like jeff goldblum talks about because all you want to hear is him talk about something because he seems like such a nice guy mm-hmm. and again in this role he's not a nice guy but he's a likable villain mm-hmm. because he's like this douchebag but he's He's such a rich and he's just so he's so vacant about why he's a douchebag. I loved it, <laughs> yeah. and only Jeff Goldblum can pull it off in that kind of like that 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 you know the yeah, stuttering yeah, that yeah. he does. The 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 final post credit sequence. Where yeah, when he comes out, he's pat on the back, pat on the back, pat on the back, everybody. I I kind of liked it both uh, ways. Yeah. You know, it was all right. I you know you need someone to fight against, so I I play my part. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it's his great. calm. Yeah, it's his calm kind of like. Rapid thought demeanor that I absolutely I'm very love. zeitgeisty, right? Like absolutely again, right like, now. Absolutely very cool. People hipstery, remember him from yeah. back in the day, and they're like, "Why is that guy not around now?" Mm, you know. Yeah. So that would be number one for me, just because I love Jeff Goldblum and the way they made him look. Like another thing is how they take. So perfect example the other way. Everybody hailed an Ant Man, Michael Douglas. I was really unhappy about that. Hank Pym mm. is the quintessential character in the Avengers. Now that I've gone back and done the research, like because mm. I didn't read the Avengers growing up, mm. the Hank Pym is a central fucking He's character. He's like one of the guys who sets it up, right? Yeah, like, they had that opening scene that mm. has it, but then again, then they just like, and I'm like, dude, you needed to make Michael Douglas way more powerful than that or way more memorable than that. Like, yeah. Hank- I, I, I must admit, I, I don't know why I liked it. I liked, you know... I liked Ant-Man. I just mm. didn't like his character. Not like like like, like they've done for Anthony Hopkins, mm. like they did for Claire Blanchett. Mm. Like, I mean, think of how many big Kate. actors... Kate, sorry. Well, who did I say? Did I say Claire? Claire Blanchett. Your cousin. That's yeah. your cousin. Yeah, sorry. That's the one who will actually be in my movie. I can't get Kate, guys. We got Claire instead. She's just as good. She just can put up with me for more than ten minutes. Because I remember her name. Uh, uh, so, um, Jeff Goldblum, number one. Number two? Uh, number two... You already used the music bit. Let's go with Kate Blanchett, man. Like that, okay. that, that, that. Just like I said, it, there's an ethereal quality to her acting to me. Like if I had a fantasy, and we do, we have some of these like high level fantasy, like very surreal, you know, that kind of stuff. I just think she's perfect. But then I remember her in Veronica Guerin, and like, oh, she's so good Jesus, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> so yeah. versatile, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, she just she's one of those people, like. Beautiful, awesome, and she's been and very her. rarely a woman that would steal my breath away if she walked in the room. You right. know what I mean? Because I just wouldn't know what to say to someone that yeah. talented as an actress. No. Yeah. So okay, so yeah, what have I done? I've done two actors. Two actors. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the third bit will go back to what I've been hampering on. The third is obviously the, the evolution of the MCU. Mm. Instead of doing what TV shows famously do that make them shit after a while. What, what M- Phase 2 was starting to do, which was getting a bit dry, they said, no, 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 we're going to reinvent. 
We're going to do... We've got to... Because the only reason you follow the story is because you care what's going to happen. And you cared in this one because we got rid of Thor's eye. We got rid of... We had Ragnarok. Mm. You know what I mean? We had Mjolnir destroyed. Exactly. Like, like yeah. we took away the things... And this is what they're going to keep doing in Phase 3 to keep mm. you interested. They're going to take away the things that you thought were foundations to the MCU. They're going to blow it all to pieces. And then in Endgame, they're going to make you cry because they're going to put it back together very, very... You know, in the way, same way the Lord of Rings did. Everyone's going to cry for a very long time. Yeah. I have one qualm about the bigger picture, which um, are, are we gonna are we gonna do another podcast when you do Infinity War and uh, we will Endgame? It, yeah, because if it's something that's going to ruin Endgame, then it won't ruin Endgame. Um, say your qualm then. Say your qualm. I I guess the way this film ends and the way Infinity War starts is distressing. I can't remember the way Infinity War starts. Just catch me up. Um, so you got Black Panther in between, just just to remind you. Yes, um, it is Infinity War, isn't it? It's not Guardians of the Galaxy. No, but you know the you know the end credit sequence where suddenly the ship shows up. That's right, and I was wondering about that because I couldn't remember where that comes from or where that comes in next. Yeah, so it comes in next that. Um, because if you remember, when Loki is going to get Serta's crown, mm. he spots the Tesseract. That's right. And I, if I remember it from Infinity Wars, they get the Tesseract back from Loki again, right? Yes. Because yeah. he's, he's, he's the one that did it the first time. He caused all the mischief with it. You know, yeah. Phase one is all about him stealing it, running away, and then... Because you don't really know what it is in phase one. It's yeah. just a little cube. Exactly. Um, and... Uh, so he saved the people of Asgard. You know, Asgard is a people, not a place. I don't know how many times they said that line in the film. Which, again, I liked. I liked the... Yeah, then that, you had Ty- that. See, that's, that's why it works, though, because then you have Taika's character come up and go, no, you can all live in the old place there, because look, <laughs> it'll be a new place for all the new peoples, and everyone can live there. Yes. Oh, the foundations anymore, are strong. Yeah. <laughs> you can rebuild. So yeah. I can't do that accent, but I love it. Taika, if you'll get on any of my movies and do that yeah. accent, like I love the the, the Kiwi, like that's that's a, that would yeah, be like yeah. a native accent. It's like a that's Polynesian, the, so he based it on um, bouncers in. in yeah, in yeah. Zealand. No, I've definitely met guys like that. They talk were like, like huge, but they had these beautiful soft voices. No, you see it, like right, like yeah, it's awesome, yeah, yeah. dude. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, like it. Like, you have the great catharsis at the end of Thor Ragnarok, and then they're just all butchered, like, um, at the beginning you of... You just feel bad, because like, you just ruined the opening of Infinity Wars, but I, I've already seen that one. Yeah, so exactly, worry. like, I didn't feel that bad. Um, but, yeah, just, I, I don't know, and, and, again, I know that it's hard to, you know, like, cover all your bases, and there's always things that slip through that don't quite make sense. Okay, so, and, and this is why you were saying, because you... You see, Ed, this is the problem with Ed is, is he knows me that well. He knows if we did one on Infinity Wars, the absolute beginning of that podcast, that we said, what the fuck was up with <laughs> saving all those people at the end of Thor Ragnarok just to fucking kill them? Yeah. And because I'm already pissed off about it. It's really funny. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't physically Free seen it yet. Pissed. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why would we save 100,000 people just yeah. to fucking kill them at the opening of the next film? And I will say, just to, just to drop this seed this is one of the issues that I have with the whole end of the Infinity Saga. Yes, well, to touch on that lightly from my end, 
what the question will be, and I will likely blog on this one, not not do a podcast on it, because I think it's it needs you know some research and some some looking at different angles from it. But so obviously, I haven't seen Endgame, but I know pretty much what happens. You know, you can't. It's like Game of Thrones; you couldn't really go through it without hearing about everybody dying and, and it coming in. And it clearly, like, and I talked to Ed about this on the podcast before. It clearly ended things, which is what they do in the comic books, right? But in the comic books, it serves a purpose so you can launch Re, 10 know. new franchises out there and revamp it. Who? I'm not I mean phase 4 this is this is this is like perfect storm kind of weather because mm. they're launching phase 4 into an era where film is dying. Like it's not dead guys and please Cineworld is so sad but it's not gone forever. It's just going to be gone until all these troubles are behind it's gonna, us. It's going to it's going to be changing. You know, we're living, it, is, it is changing. We're living through a time. You yeah. know, like that's the way it is, guys. Like People so will I, look back on this time in the industry and they'll call it something. But e- equally like just as I said, rent story of film and odyssey and you will not be worried in the slightest. No, like Hollywood's yeah. gone through this a thousand times before. Yeah. And if it's not Hollywood that comes back, it'll be something else. But and I can't even remember what my point was with all that. No, I, I do remember what my point was. I guess the thing what I'm saying is that, like, was it smart for Kevin Feige... To blow everything up kind of thing and... To get that, yeah, to get that money from Avengers Endgame, making it, like, best film of all time, top ten films grossing all time, whatever the fuck you managed to get on that, but tanking, pretty much guaranteeing that people would be less interested in what happens afterwards. Right. Was that the way to go? Now, that is a super interesting question, and I think that... It goes into some of the decisions, like, for example, I think one of the things that happened when they rehired James Gunn is they said to him, you're actually going to be in charge of Cosmic MCU. So he's going to, like, essentially be like Feige, but for this little corner of the MCU. That's right. There's, there's, a, there's a whole set of comic books that go with it I told you about. So I used to read the, the Warlock one. Right. Adam Warlock, Warlock yeah. was probably my favorite, but then Guardians of the Galaxy was mm. another one. I always loved the raccoon, even though he's not a raccoon. I think it's, it's so mind-blowing it, to it's, me. It's different. It's yeah, very different because yeah, yeah. it's all very big. As an ego is the first time I really... You know, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the other one. Your know, Phase Three's just been full. It's of me. really good. That's it's really. I good. guess that's that's because I keep missing movies here. All I would tell you is like Phase Three, like the the caliber of every single film it's in that just one, which is so much yeah, higher. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you watch. I hadn't seen Guardians of the Galaxy two, being like, well, I saw the first one and kind of liked it, and I heard the second one is basically just the same film all over again. Mm. It is, but it isn't. Like it was that opening was, sequence with Baby Groot dancing. It was so much better. It's so good. It was, and it, there's like the emotion of. Yondu, we've talked a lot about this. Oh my god, no, right? Like so, so, so that's what I mean. Like, is the question you do have an end of Thor Ragnarok is a good point for that because it doesn't. That has the Star Wars ending. So riddle me this, right? And we're gonna end on this point because we're we're getting. I don't know how long we've been going, but we're probably an hour and a half now. Riddle me this, and we'll we'll answer it on one of our later podcasts, or I'll blog about it, and then we'll talk about it on the podcast. Star Wars ends on positive note ish. And I, you heard the ish, because I didn't like that last film. Man, I really didn't like that last film. But the Mando's still going on strong now, and they're going to go back to all of this as much as they can. Like, Star Wars is going to get ready for its Phase 4, and people are kind of stoked to see what do they do now. Yeah. Good news on that was people are stoked and saying Phase 4 is going to be pretty sweet. Bad news was, like, ended on a happy ending, and it didn't make a damn bit of fucking difference. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, people were happy from a nostalgia point, and then people like me were like, that was the most bullshit ending mm. I've ever seen. Mm. Okay, I would have just ended it with Last Jedi and been mm. like, whoop, there mm. we go. Mm. This is the opposite. So now we're going to kill everybody, most people. We're going to kill the most important people that we care about on this. Mm. We're going to do that because that's what heroes are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how we envision heroes. It's it's the end of, it's the same ending in Dark Knight. You know, mm. we're going to hunt him because we have to. Right. We can't live with our heroes still alive. Mm. So that's what Kevin Feige must have thought. Mm. He said, everyone's heroes eventually die, so mm. I have to kill them, otherwise they won't be heroes anymore. Mm. Is that true? Like, I don't know which is better. I just mm. like the fact that two massive franchises, because the reason I like all of this is this is playing with our psychology. Mm. Like, this is two people trying to talk about what is the zeitgeist of the moment? What, mm. How do people feel? Are people happier with a message that says, you know... It may not all make sense in the end, but, it, you know, good people lived on, things happened, and now we're going to do something completely different for you to see, mm. but everybody's still happy in the end of bed. Mm. Or do we say, we know your heroes died, we're really sorry, but you were with us for that, and you were really mm. powerful, mm. now we have some new heroes for you to meet. Mm. Which message is better? On that note, I'm going to wish you all adieu. Thank you very much for listening, and please answer that question in the comments if you want. Yes. I just think it'd be great to pop you. But Ed, what else? What are your closing thoughts for today? Um, well, thank you very much for listening. That was really interesting. Please do check out Jason's uh, blogs about his MCU deep dive. They're always really, really fascinating. Um, especially just because you know he's kind of going through it for the first time with a critical eye. And uh, there's lots of lots of really interesting stuff in there. But yeah, thank you for listening, guys. Thanks so much. Everybody.